who are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Thank you, uh, Jess, for reading God's word to us this morning. Let's uh, come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your inspired and infallible word. The word of God that is living, dynamic, and active. Father, we submit ourselves to you and to your word this morning. Praying that your Holy Spirit will minister to our needy hearts, Lord. Convicting us of sin, encouraging us where we need to be encouraged. Helping us, Lord, use our gifts so that the body of Christ, Yereth and Stevens, will be built up in Christ alone. Father, I pray you forgive me for my sins. And thank you for the honor and privilege of sharing your precious word with your precious people in this place. In Jesus' name, Amen. My friends, uh, I suspect that all of us love to receive gifts, don't we? When is the last time you received a gift? Anyone? Don't, don't be ashamed to raise your hands. Okay, I see a few hands being raised here this morning. That's good. I'm sure you were encouraged, you were excited when you received uh, that gift. And what, and, and, and what did you actually do with it? If it was wrapped uh, with beautiful wrapping paper... Uh, do you, uh, did you just leave it on the mantelpiece, and look at it from this angle and that angle and say, wow, that's a nice gift? Or did you actually spend some time opening up the wrapping and then looking at the gift? I'm sure most of us would have done that. In fact, many of us. In fact, I think all of us would do that. I don't think anyone would, uh, generally speaking, turn a gift away from uh, any uh, any person who is generously willing to give us a gift, we love receiving gifts. We go to the mailbox perhaps thinking, oh, there might be a check in the mail for you. But often that's not the case, it's always bills. Uh, perhaps you might get a surprise that might come in. And think, well, Lord, I thank you for this wonderful gift. Speaking of gifts this morning, we're going to talk on the subject of gifts because that's what we are, where, where we are at. In, in our text here this morning in Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 7 through to 12. See, our Lord, friends, is generous. He lavishes us with his love. He lavishes us with his grace. He gives us, he lavishes us with his presence through his Holy Spirit. He gives us the gift of faith. He gives us the gift of eternity, heaven itself. Our God is generous. He provides for 
the needs of mankind in general and he provides for the needs of his people specifically. Our God is the giving God. Our God is the one who gives. He is the sending God and he is the giving God. Right from the beginning of Genesis, even when Adam and Eve sinned against God, God had made a wonderful creation, established the foundations of the world, provided for mankind in his generosity and grace. And yet when Adam and Eve turned their backs against God, God himself promised in Genesis chapter 3.16, what we call the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel was preached in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, promising the Redeemer that is to come. The giving God, the sending God, the one who sent his Son from the splendor of heaven into this world. And the one who now gives out of his good heart generously for his people, gifts both physically and mentally and emotionally for our own well-being and materially, but more so spiritually for God's people to function. And I was thinking and reflecting upon the generosity of our God. What an awesome God we worship. What a generous God we worship. What an amazing God that we are privileged to be able to call our Father. The Lord's prayer that we prayed this morning begins with those wonderful words. Our Father who art in heaven. I, I memorized it that way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's how I learned the Lord's prayer myself. And our Father who is in heaven is the same God who provides for his church. And so this morning, as we continue our study of the book of Ephesians, which is, I, I trust, an encouraging series for us this morning, uh, we are today at Ephesians chapter 4, 7 to 12, where Paul speaks of gifts that the Lord gives to his people and his church. Well, last Sunday, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 6, titled, Striving for Unity. And today we see that this unity is worked out through the diversity of gifts. We saw last week at the very beginning of chapter 4, Paul was urging us to live a life worthy of our calling that we have received in Christ. And then he addressed the topic of unity in Christ. The gospel has made us one in Christ, Jews and Gentiles. The mystery has been revealed and opened. And so people from every tribe, nation, language are part of God's gospel church throughout the world. And as people come together with different nationalities, cultures, backgrounds, we need to work together in this body of Christ, in this family of God. And so Paul spoke of unity in the body. Sure, there will be disagreements, just like any family. Uh, sure, there will be debates. You sit on the floor of the assembly, there are mighty debates. If you come to the General Assembly of Australia, you'd see that. We sit at the presbytery meetings. We just had a presbytery meeting last Wednesday. We debate issues. You sit on the board of management. We will debate issues. What color should the carpets be? Some will think it's, I'm not saying this is what happened at the board. But some might say we want a red carpet. Others might say we want Presbyterian blue. Others might say we want yellow carpets. I don't know. So we discuss, we decide, we debate and we come to a decision and we go and we stick with Presbyterian blue. Always a safe place to be. No, I'm not sure. Um, 
and, 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 and people will, will go away from the place feeling, well, I didn't get my way, but I go with the decision that has been made. So we come to a, 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 an agreed decision and we uphold that decision because we have made that decision together. Certainly there are challenges in relationships in any church. And we have to deal with it. Sure, there will be different personalities, there are different uh, issues, and, but the bottom line is that we strive for unity, to have equal regard for one another in Christ, despite our differences. And so Paul gave five uh, quality characteristics or character qualities that we saw last week, and they are humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love. And he went on to show us the basis of such a unity. If you look in your text in, in Ephesians chapter 4, he spoke of seven one statements. Seven one statements. You get that? One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And they're all connected with the Trinity. One spirit, one Lord, one God and Father. Here we have the beautiful picture of the Trinity. The whole church is pictured in the light of the Trinity. Just like in the Trinity there is a beautiful unity. Each person of the Trinity has a unique role, but yet there is not the slightest hint of conflict in the Godhead. You see, people kind of shy away from speaking about the Trinity, don't we? Uh, not, people will say, well, do you have three gods? Do you have, how many gods do you have? No, no, it's, we, we have three persons here doing their role, but we have one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The beauty of the Trinity. And so our unity is to be rooted in that Trinity. Uh, John Stott says this, The unity of the church is as indestructible as the unity of God himself. It is no more possible to split the church than it is possible to split the Godhead. So our unity is based on that. How beautiful a picture this is. Our unity is eternal. There is one body, the church, universal. There is one hope, eternal hope. There is one faith in Christ alone. There is one baptism that identifies us with the body of Christ. And so this morning, I've given you just a very quick recap of last week. And this morning, we will look at Ephesians 4, 7 to 12, where Paul is now concerned that this united body in Christ will work together to build itself up in love through the gift that God has given the church. So we're going to look at this versus uh, the, the first aspect here is the giver of these gifts. We see that he begins by speaking of grace. If you look at uh, chapter 4, verse 7 with me, please. We have these words uh, in our text here. But to each one of us, grace has been given us, given as Christ apportioned it. Now, just have a look at those words. To each one of us, grace has been given us as Christ apportioned it. Grace is significant in the book of Ephesians. We've already seen that in Ephesians chapter 2. Grace is at the heart of the gospel. Grace is at the heart of Christianity. When we think of grace, we think of God giving. Grace is an expression of what God does and what God gives. And so Paul speaks about this grace. Example in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. We memorize this passage, so you should, if I put the screen off, you should know it. 
hopefully. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through what? Faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So grace, amazing grace has saved us. God's grace has saved us. And he has given us the gift of faith to believe in this God. That too is a gift from God. There is nothing that motivate that, that in us that motivated the Lord to show us his grace and give us the gift of salvation. Salvation is totally of grace. We are not in his kingdom because we are nicer, we are smarter, are better looking, more spiritual, more worthy than others. No. It is because of his grace. Now, let's look at this passage. John Stott commented on this, says this, The unity of the church is due to charis. God's grace having reconciled us to himself. But the diversity of the church is due to charismata. I'll explain that. God's gifts distributed to church members. From this word grace, we also get this word charisma. That's the word, the, the original word that is used there is charis. Um, there are people who are women, uh, I, I knew some uh, women in the past, their names were charis. That's grace. Right? Uh, every person has this grace, this charisma. Uh, in, in, in that sense, we are a charismatic people. Yeah? <laughs> Do you agree? Uh, um, I'm not really sure. Uh, every, every person in Christ is charismatic. Dr. Asis Proud commenting on this word charismata makes the following observation. When we use the term charismatic today, we are describing somebody who has some special endowment or gift. And in the New Testament, the entire church is a charismatic community in which each member has a spiritual gift. And so Paul makes the point that Jesus in his grace endows individuals within the body of Christ with gifts for the purpose of edifying the entire body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 says, it is given for the common good. And so to make the point, Paul quotes Psalm 68 and verse 18 in our text here in verse 8. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one, verse 10, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Now this, <laughs> this is one of those texts, friends, we have here. It's a kind of complex text, isn't it? I'll try and explain it this way, all right? So, Psalm 68, verse 8. Um, this is what Paul is quoting here. What are we to make with this text? Uh, look at your Bibles as well with me. Paul borrows the imagery from Psalm 68, verse 18, which metaphorically describes God ascending on Mount Zion with his enemies as captives. It's a triumphant Psalm, Psalm 68. The chariots of God. Look, look at, if you, I, I'll just read a couple of verses from Psalm 68 to make the point. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. 
And when you ascended on high, you took many captives, you received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. So the, the picture here is of a powerful God. Chariots of God. Thousands upon thousands. Ten thousands. And God descending on Mount Sinai upon the sanctuary. The power of God is displayed. Do you believe that our God is powerful today? We believe in a powerful God. The living God. The eternal God. And this God received gifts from people. Now God in that psalm moves with twice of tens of thousands and thousands of chariots. And in verse 18 of Psalm 68, God receives gifts from the captives. Now notice what Paul is saying in the text here. However, when Paul quotes this psalm, and in applying this line to Jesus, he makes a change from receiving gifts to giving gifts. And Paul uses this imagery to portray Jesus as a conquering king now. Alright, so you're with me, right? And Paul portrays the captives in Jesus' victory parade. Why? Why? Because now, we need to see it this way. Jesus has defeated our spiritual adversaries, making what captivated us in the bonds of sin his own captives. That is, sin, death and Satan has been defeated by Jesus. They are overcome by the power of Jesus at the cross and by his resurrection from the dead. And now, when Jesus ascended on high, which is a reference to his ascension, he took many captives, all of these things of sin and death and Satan itself. And the ascent of Jesus refers to his ascension. Let me, and I'll explain as we go along. In, 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 in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them, gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive, and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. So Jesus was taken up to heaven. People ask, where is Jesus today? Where is he? He is heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the ascended king. The, 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 the almighty king who is seated at the right hand of the Father. The place of all authority and power. This is the Jesus that we come to every day, friends. This is the Jesus that we can pray to. Because we know that this Jesus is seated at the right hand. He has conquered sin. He has conquered Satan. Yes, Satan is powerful, but he's a wounded, uh, wounded uh, enemy now. And one day he will be crushed forever. And yes, death itself has been conquered. And our Savior is seated in the place of authority. And this Jesus, who in victory ascended high, is the risen and ascended Lord, the victor over sin and death, the triumphant King Jesus. Now, he gives gifts to his people. He does not just receive gifts, but he actually now, as the triumphant King, he gives gifts to his people. Now, the question is this, verses 9 and 10 in the passage. 
What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher. Let me explain it this way. It's somewhat complex. There are many in church history who have theologically read Ephesians chapter 4. I have to deal with this. It's in the text here. I'll make it clear as simply as possibly I can. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, 9 to 10, they affirm that Jesus descended into hell and preached to the spirits there in time between his death and resurrection. They quote 1 Peter chapter 3. The framers of the Apostles' Creed probably embraced this interpretation and so we have the inclusion of the words in the Apostles' Creed, which we do on Lord's Supper Sundays. He descended into hell in the Creed. What are we to make of this? Well, my understanding is that this is perhaps not the case here. When we read of the descent of Jesus, and I've read some commentators on this, when we read of the descent of Jesus in these verses, I believe, and I think that the text is, it, it is referring to Jesus' descent from heaven. That is, when he took on a human nature and became the incarnate Son of God on that very first Christmas. Uh, speaking of Christmas, uh, I was speaking to some uh, people a couple of weeks ago, and they said to me, uh, well, we are going for a Christmas in July function. Imagine that, Christmas in July. Within six months, will be Christmas. Very soon, there will be Christmas trees out there in shopping centers. But that very first Christmas, Jesus descended. He came from heaven. We sing a song, isn't it? From heaven you came. The servant king, I think that song is. He came on the very first Christmas. Jesus' descent to earth meant that he gave up his position and came to earth. He humbled himself. Jesus came from heaven, John chapter 3. In the incarnation, he descended to the lower region, which is another way of speaking of his humiliation. And he went further down and down and down in his death and actually became sin for us in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. And I would go with the view that we should understand that Jesus descended to hell, so to speak, while on the cross. As Calvin and Hodge and others maintain this position. This is insofar as Jesus suffered, the wrath of God poured out upon hell-deserving sinners while he hung on the tree. That's what he did. Have you thought about that? <laughs> what a beautiful thing this is. What an amazing Savior that our Savior is for you. He descended from heaven. He left his position. He took upon himself human flesh without sin. He came to the lowest regions, the earth itself. And then he went down and down to the pains of hell on the cross. For you and for me. The cross is where Christ came down for a purpose. Remember I started by saying God is a sending God, a giving God, and at the cross He gave, He sent, He gave, and He showed His love. And that's what keeps us, my friends, going, I trust, every day as we look at the cross of Christ, we see our Savior giving His life for you. That He descended. So Paul says... Uh, this ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father demonstrates his sovereignty, his authority, 
This fits in well, I think, with Paul's similar explanations. For example, in Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 11, where Jesus' incarnation precedes his exaltation, ascension uh, to heaven. And so because he has conquered death and hell, Jesus can give to us now each what he wills to do. And we have no right to question his sovereign allocation of his gifts. We should therefore not ask, why has God not given me, why hasn't the Lord given me certain gifts? But rather we should strive to develop and use our gifts. And having, now Paul, having referred in the abstract to the gifts that Jesus has given to his church, in today's passage, the apostle identifies several of these gifts. In fact, we have five of them mentioned. So, verse, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, and teachers, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now friends, this morning, let me say this. In this list, Paul limits his discussion to what we might call leadership gifts. Whereas elsewhere in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, he elaborates on other gifts. There are more gifts than these five mentioned. Let me go through this very quickly. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Apostles and prophets. Do we have them today? Is the apostolic ministry still on? Uh, do we have prophets? We can speak extra biblical revelations. Well... Since the foundation has already been established, there is no longer any need for apostles and prophets in the church today as in its earliest days. There is no longer any need for God to deliver new special revelation to his people. God has spoken in his word. He has spoken in Jesus Christ. So we don't need that office anymore. Yes, you might have prophets in the sense that those who are preaching the word of God, but not in the Old Testament sense of prophets. It's no extra revelation. Evangelists. Evangelists are those who are especially gifted to proclaim the gospel persuasively. They're able to articulate the gospel. Some people are so amazingly gifted. They can just talk and bring the gospel in, can't they? They're able to articulate the gospel in a natural setting. Some of us might struggle with it. Others are able to do it. Some others have a, 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 a gift that is a public ministry. For example, I think of Dr. Billy Graham. What a fantastic, great evangelist that God has used in the world to bring people to faith in Christ. So some are gifted in this area. They're able to ease in with the gospel. Shepherds or pastors, as we see here. The, the, the word there is, is shepherd. As, as, as the pastor goes about his responsibilities to shepherd the flock, he does so uh, with, 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 a, with a great care for God's people. While all pastors are teachers, not all teachers are pastors. Pastors have more of a leadership role than teachers, especially in pastoring God's people and giving them spiritual care. So God has gifted the church with pastors. You may not. You might have difficulties with your pastors. You might not agree with your pastors. You might say, Pastor, you're preaching too long, or you're preaching too short, or I can't get your sermons. But the pastor's responsibility is to feed the flock. 
That is my primary responsibility before God. This is John's responsibility for us. Our responsibility is to teach and to preach to you God's word. Right? <laughs> and your, your, your care for us is, you better pray. I say to people, you pray and we will preach. You pray for our preparation. You pray for the preaching of God's word. You pray that your pastors will remain faithful to this word of God. Because when we mount this pulpit, whoever comes here, but for myself I'm speaking, I'm awfully mindful of the responsibility that God has given me to stand before you every Sunday. It's not an easy task. We praise God for the opportunity to share the word and pastors are to bring the word of God. We're not coming here to tell you nice stories and to give you a two-minute pep talk. We're bringing to you God's word and pastors have that responsibility to primarily bring themselves before God. Preach this word to yourself before you preach it to others. And so the pastor is called to teach this word, to encourage. God gives the church the gift of pastors that's God's gift to the church a pastor teacher and then he gives and I'll come to the next one which are teachers so pastors are teachers not all teachers are pastors so teachers they are, they are those who are gifted and have the ability to teach and ability to explain things and communicate things clearly teachers who are teaching in our kids church and in, in, our, in our growth groups and others they exercise this ministry of teaching the gifts. You see, these gifts are by no means, as I said, the only ones. They are, they are spiritual gifts, such as, as I said in Romans chapter 12. We, we read that passage this morning. The gift of encouragement. The gift of, of, uh, of love. The gift of hospitality. The gift of all of these things that Paul talks of in Romans chapter 12. Um, a, a multiplicity of gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The gifts are the, are the Lord's gifts. The gifts are for the church. We are stewards of these gifts. And notice the purpose for which these are given in, in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, our text. What is it given for? So that you and I can brag and say, wow, I am better gifted than you. Look at my gifts, man. Your gifts are terrible. You, you can't even come close to my gifts. I am I'm better gifted than you. I'm the upfront person here. You're just the background guy, man. Don't even come close to me. Is that how we look at our gifts? Is there, are these gifts given so that the person who is gifted will boast and brag and say, look at me? No. The gifts are given by the Lord for a purpose. It is given for the church. It is given for the common good of God's people. It is given to be used. And so Paul says here, to equip his people for works of service. In the context here, the leaders are to equip God's people for works of service. And the reason is for the building up of the body of Christ. They are given to equip to make people able to use, we are, we are to give you the tools to be able to use your gifts. So, for example, here at St. Stephen's, uh, we have diversified our ministries, haven't we? We have people participating in the services. We have people leading us in prayer. We have musicians. We have Bible readers. We have uh, 
people doing border management things. We have ministry teams. We have ministry team leaders. We have opportunities for you to serve. If you would come up and say to John, or to myself, or to one of the elders, I would love to serve the Lord in this specific area of the ministry because I feel that this is where my gifts and talents are, that God has given me. We would say, yes. Go for it. Serve. So these are given to equip. The roles of these gifts are to train people for works of service. Everyone is to play a part. Every believer has a part to play. As one writer calls it, every member ministry. There's an every member ministry in the church. Is that correct? Or we, or the pastors, the, uh, like, like the bus drivers. They're sitting in the front, driving the bus, and everyone's coming behind. <laughs> no, we're an every member church family. Using the ministry gifts that God has given us. Friends, the word for service is diakonia. It indicates practical service. Everyone is called to to serve. These are service gifts. Serving the servant king, Jesus, the Lord of the church, to serve Christ and his people is, in using the gifts, is always a privilege. I say to people, you serve Christ in the church, it is not a right. Correct? It is a privilege. Don't you think so? Don't you think so? That it's a privilege for you and I to use the gifts that God has given for him? Or do you take it as a right? I always think it's a wonderful privilege to serve Christ. It's a wonderful honor to serve the Master. It is a wonderful honor to serve this Lord who has touched you in his grace, who has brought you out of darkness to light, who has put you into hope without hopelessness, who has displayed his amazing grace when when you had no grace. Who has put you from eternal lostness, from hell, to brought you to eternal life in Jesus. And who has given to each and every one of us this morning, what? You breathe. You go outside and you breathe. What do you see? In the cold weather. You see your breath out there, right? You're breathing. You're living. You're dynamic. One day this body will be dead. Your lips won't move anymore. Your hands won't be able to play anymore an instrument. Be dead. But now, today, you have life. And you say to the Lord, Father, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have given me the gift of whatever that gift might be. I just want to pray that until my dying day, until you give me grace to live, until you give me all my faculties and my abilities, I want to use my gifts for your glory. Would you say that? Would you say that with me this morning? I want to use my, your gifts you've given me to build up your church, the body of Christ. And God will use you. I tell you, man, he will take you to places that you wouldn't want to go. He will put you in places like some guy like me who so shy to speak in the, when I was growing up. I, I, I couldn't imagine talking in front of people. I should run away. But I always went and watched debates from the back pew of the, in the back seat in, in, in the debate room. I always watched these guys. Man, they are, they are geniuses. And in the providence of God, he's put me here. And he's put you there 
And he can use you. Don't keep your gift wrapped up. <laughs> Unpack it. Use it. Have your own. We sang. Have your own way, Lord. Have your own way. Make me and mold me after your will. So as we summarize, friends, this morning we have seen that the ascended Jesus gives spiritual gifts to his people. These gifts are in the context here of uh, teaching gifts. They're given for the equipping of God's people, for their service to him and his people. In doing so, the body of Christ, the church is built up, not, not brought down. You can do lots of things to bring the church down. But to us who are given much, we have to build the church in Christ. Our Lord is generous. He lavishes us as we conclude with his grace and love. He also gives us spiritual gifts. Our gifts are diverse. Develop the gift that God has given you and use it. Don't wrap it up and keep it in a safe place. Use it. And as we do so, we are connected in unity with each other. Building up the body of Christ of which our Savior is Lord. Would you pray this morning in the quietness of your heart if you're not a Christian that today might be a day that you know Jesus, the gift of his grace. And if you are a Christian here this morning, say Lord, until you give me breath, life to breathe, energy to live, use me, use me, use me for the glory of your name. For the building up of the church. So that when I finish my earthly life. My Savior will say to me. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're a good and generous God. Thank you that you give gifts to your church. Lord, I pray this morning for each and every one of us here that you would show us our gifts, keep us humble, Lord, and use the gifts that you've given us for the unity of the body of Christ here at St. Stephen's or whatever church that we belong to or come from, Lord. Father, we pray that you would help us to use the gifts you've given us to serve you, to serve your church, your precious people. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we're going to uh, bring our service to a